Hi, this is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance. And um, joining me today are Michael Petruselli and Molly Klein. This is kind of a, a part two of our previous um, discussion. And uh, let us get into it. Hi, Molly. Hi, Michael. Hello, hello. How's it going, John? Good, man. Okay, um, Molly, you had you had some thoughts, I know. Yeah, I'm ready to start um, because yeah. we wanted to talk about enchantment, and mm -hmm. I actually didn't get to read. I was going to read the um, Ernst Block that you had recommended, and I had read some of his stuff on Utopia years ago, but, uh, you know, and uh, somebody... Um, uh, Jake's father said, oh, you know, academics never admit when they haven't read something. So if you say, have you read this? And they say, oh, not for years. <laughs> but, but I'm not saying that now. I haven't. You can actually refresh my memory a little bit, but I don't, I don't, and I know that, and I glanced back at it yesterday and I'm like, I sort of remember it, but I don't, I don't really remember that book. But I wanted to raise this idea of enchantment because we were going to talk about dialectic of enlightenment and stuff like that, that Silvia Federici's book, Caliban and the Witch, which is really great, is about, you know, the transition basically to capitalism, not just as a mode of production, but um, as a, a kind of overall cultural transformation, the cultural transformation that it involved, which is the disciplining of the body. So she begins with this sort of medieval conception of the body, which is sort of Adam Cadman idea, you know, the Kabbalistic idea that the original man is a universe and we think of our body holistically and it's all tied in, you know, astrology, the stars are connected to our different organs and, right. um, you know, the humoral medicine and all this stuff is very processual. It's very, um, it's very organic, right? And it's all about systems and living things reproducing themselves in a constant thing and then capitalism comes along and has to discipline the body right and put it on the clock and and uh, make it a corpse and she had this great sentence which was the body had to die so that labor power could live and i think that that's really brilliant and then she so but there was there's a sense in this and then she goes from the medieval utopias the peasant utopias are you know this land of cocaine which is or cocaine which is just you have everything, you know, you sleep all day, the milk falls from the sky, you know, it's just nice. And then you get the utopia, strictly speaking, Moore's utopia, which is a dream factory. It's a, it's a regimented, right. you know, horrible. And then that, when we see now with it, and then of course we have all the false utopias in science fiction, which are followed that, that utopia, the idea that our dreams are to be in a sort of very systematized, rigid universe where everyone's in a uniform, blah, blah, blah which is not the peasant idea of paradise. The peasant idea of paradise is you're leisured, you have sex all day, you eat, you drink, you play music, you know, life is good, right? right. So, um, and then I was thinking about, this is why the class is so important all the time and what Adorno's argument, you know, they do that Hegelian argument that reason itself, you know, both logos and ratio have in themselves, you know, this trap that, you know, you start down one road and you want, you start down the road toward mastery of nature and you wind up, um, you know, in a, in a totalitarian right, disaster right. against life. But that's not a class, that misses class, which is that reason 
there's a proletarian reason and a peasant reason, and then there's a bourgeois reason. There's the reason of the creators and the reason of the appropriators. And the right. reason of the creators is materialist reason. Like when um, Carlo uh, Ginsburg did his looked into the the um, the the trials, the Inquisition. You know, he has a lot of peasants. There's one peasant who gets condemned. I mean, there he has to walk around with a hat or whatever, but he gets condemned for saying. The priests shouldn't come and bless the fields because the only thing that can make the fields more fruitful is human labor and manure. That's what he says, and he won't <laughs> he won't take it back. And they make an example of him, right? So, but that that's you know in that case, this is the reason of the peasants and materialism. And Adorno doesn't want to see that. He just sees reason and logos themselves as bad ideas that then, you know, crank away into the, on this bad right, course right. when it, what he's disguising there is class struggle. Well, he, right. I, I mean, he's aware of it, but he, he barely mentions it. The only time he ever mentions it is um, offhandedly and indirectly when he talks about history shaping the, you know, the, the ways in which this instrumental um, transformation, this hyper-rationality um, takes hold. I mean, he acknowledges that, that there are different historical forces for different classes, but that's it. It never goes yeah. any further, and it's, right. it's apparently and, of just not very much interest to him. No, it's and it's interesting so because that, there's so much potential in that section, and I, it's also in actuality. I have read the book, but not in a while. But in that section about <laughs> Ulysses, Ulysses being the first modern man, and that he has all these capacities. You know, he's witty, he's satirical, he's individual, but he he's a puzzle solver, right? And he's a and a pattern mm -hmm. recognizer. So that that those potentials are, you know, yeah, they're, it's bourgeois, it's the, the liberalism in embryo, and yet it's also, you know, um, it's also a, the, the skills of a revolutionary leader. You know, they're, they're not necessarily, like he wants to have an essence in itself or a, a sort of mechanism that's the world is running by thoughts or you know paradigms that have this these bad, you know that they fall apart or they tend in one and tendency is one thing, but that they must go that way, you know rather than that separate separate um, people are are fighting to make right, different right, things right. prevail and then it, you know it's it's really um, uh, the other thing I was thinking that this goes to like we see in, in history he's it's true there you know that each time the the instrumental thinking and the rule every, each time the ruling class has an offensive that gets worse and more extreme kind of but there's always this back and forth like in the peasants then you get the renaissance and they were interested in Kabbalah while they were also trying to figure out plumbing you know they're you know they're doing all kinds of things like you know it's always going back and forth and then romanticism is this huge huge, uh, which you were talking about with Guy, right, at romanticism, and, and Deleuze, I think, fits into this, because he's the representative of that among the posties. The romanticism is always returning to say, wait a second, <laughs> you know, right. there's more here, and we need not to abolish rationality, but to um, make it perfect by understanding um, process. Right, like, right. Ray no. Reifying our material. Right. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that I don't, so I'm not sure that yeah. Adorno would completely agree that we should ignore necessarily class struggle, 
Um, I actually, so I was going back through and rereading section one last night because I was up and couldn't sleep and was like, oh, well, this will probably be good prep for tomorrow. Um, so, and you're not allowed um, to go anywhere. Right, so, I yeah. can't go anywhere. Um, so he says that uh, prior to the enlightenment, there's one idea of knowledge, which is that um, you can only understand knowledge through the spirit. And that's like the primary form of knowing things. But that with the birth of enlightenment, um, anything that can't be quantified can't be real. If I can't count it and hold it and see it, um, it's not real. And so there's this idea of our brains as having, um, rather than being like a part of us, your brain becomes something separate. It's just a response organ. It sees it, nothing original can come from it. Um, yeah. And then he goes on to say, uh, knowledge does not consist in mere perception, classification, and calculation, but precisely in the determining negation of whatever is at hand. Instead of such negation, mathematical formalism, whose medium, number, is the most abstract form of the immediate, arrests thought at mere immediacy. The more completely the machinery of thought subjugates existence, the more blindly it is satisfied with reproducing it. Enlightenment represses to the mythology it has never been, regresses to the mythology it has never been able to escape, for mythology had reflected in its forms and essence the existing order. In the terseness of the mythical age, as in its clarity of scientific formula, the eternity of the actual is confirmed and mere existence is pronounced something as the meaning it extracts. Um, so he, he is pretty clear that, you know, this is, this is a reflection of what's happening around you. These, these ways of viewing thought aren't the be all end all, but they are the ways that are encouraged by the existing order. Um, right, you know, the they're, they're just, they're just, um, right, this is, these are bourgeois, these are just official thought, this is the clerks, it's the problem of the professional intellectuals. But then he presents it as if it's running the whole society, as if people aren't every day having practical reason, you know, right. practical knowledge, and that also that they would, how would these people like be, have anything to eat that they could make these stories? You know, I like obviously some people still know how to grow things and feed them. Yeah, I think he was, I, and I don't, I mean, I think these, yeah. these um, uh, criticisms are, are, are legitimate and, and certainly people have made them before and, 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 it, and it's true. And Adorno was a Hegelian and then he, you know, he borrowed very heavily from Kant and strangely enough from Kierkegaard, but, but the, but what concerned him was, I think, twofold and it's interesting you should read Robert Hulo Kentor's um, book on essays on Adorno but the, especially the essay back back to Adorno because he, he dissects um, dialectic of enlightenment a bit and talks about this uneasy relationship between Horkheimer and Adorno anyway yeah, the, chap the chapter on Ulysses apparently was Adorno um, and, and Horkheimer was uncomfortable with it, in fact. But anyway, but, oh. the, but, but the point is that, you know, he was concerned, you know, hugely with um, the, the thought processes and, and ways that the pathway to fascism, how we got to fascism, yeah. you know, in, in World War II. I mean, he, that was, the overriding concern he had and and the later this the very later lectures of of, of adorno were really interesting i think the, they're fragments and notes to students and stuff but they're really wonderful and and he this 
his kind of despair comes through at the 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 way in which fascism lives on in this deadened bourgeois consciousness. I mean, he really is was the um, anticipating all the stuff we're talking about in a sense. But yeah, I think I think those criticisms are right. Um, I think Michael, um, you know, touches on just evidence of what I said that that it didn't interest him. He mentions it and he's aware of it because he's not a stupid guy, but it didn't interest him. Right. He was interested in the, have, they don't have the mechanisms faith. or something, you know? Well, I think they didn't have any faith. I mean, the thing is, these are, these are, first of all, right, a lot of the German intellectuals, and they got sort of arbitrarily expelled from German culture by Nazi ideology about their being Jewish, but they're actually, that's their culture. They were contributed to this culture and made it. And they want to blame it on the working class. And they also feared, you know, because these are uh, people who actually had to run away from their country, right? Because they were afraid of the public. So they, they have turned against the um, working class, you know, because they, did, they kind of closed their eyes. They didn't participate in the revolution of the communist working class. And then they, you know, sort of imagined everyone was a brown shirt kind of thing. And right. they had yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, and, I, I and so when I, they talk about that, when they talk about, um, you know, uh, instrumental rationality, the way they always put it is like um, civilization as uh, rationalized irrationality, or they keep saying the subjugation of nature, the subjugation of nature. Like they're, what I mean by nature, they're talking about the conquest of the working class, of the communist movement, of the communist world movement, but they imagine it as this timeless subjugation of nature, sort of like Francis Bacon, you know, that, that the, the masses are just fauna. You know, they're part of the landscape mm -hmm. and rationality is about controlling them. And they don't see them as subjects, partly because of their trauma. And they are all traumatized. That yeah, no, no. And I think that's all. right. I mean, I think that's, I think that's right. I think that's, that was shaped their thought, you know, and, and. It shaped their thought. And they, and they're, it's their own, you know, they want to expel, well, the worst, of course, is Hannah Arendt. Um, you know, well, who wanted to transfer the guilt from her boyfriend, who was an absolute, who was an actual Nazi, an important Nazi, onto yeah. his victims. Well, you know, and she had to, she had to cape for a Gambin, who's, you know, just as much of a horrific fascist as her boyfriend was. Um, you know, you yeah, end up with boy. these... We He's could talk a, about <laughs> we could talk about yeah the, we should the oh, Agamben um, response to the uh, the Corona event because yeah it's so just, he's so one oh one you know he's so like he has a he ha, he's so proud of his grasp of the obvious and then yeah he's so yeah and very he's, very yeah. Slavosh <laughs> yes he they're very very similar and friends you know they're good friends. But right, I say I say the most little, simplistic yeah. thing well, and I say mean, it in vague terms, so it sounds like I'm an in, like I'm a genius. It's great. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, but let me, I want to get back to, to disenchantment a bit. Yeah, disenchantment and that enchantment, the whole idea. I mean, because romanticism comes back over and over, right? Or some in with different names, romanticism. And Marx was a, a romantic. I mean, he belonged to this tradition. It comes back over and over, trying to. Um, you know, as it, it's a class war issue, like the peasantry, the masses bring romanticism back all the time. Some intellectuals go over to them, you know, or whatever, you know, shape it, lead it, whatever. And then um, it's always being, you know, uh, 
uh, killed often by ridicule, right? That's a big mm -hmm. thing. The ridicule of the instrumental and computational thought, the financialization, that, that idea and stuff is always coming back. But that's, when I was thinking about the, the, the CGI, it's perfect because the, the instrumental um, bourgeois thinking, the proprietor, the landlord thinking has now just started to mimic in this, it's like its whole tactic is mimicry, tweeness, kitsch, um, mimicking its, uh, the romantic opposition. That's what CGI is, right? Because the first CGI was always making these sort of like adorable little cutesy pootsy, uh, you know, wonderlands, right? That are right. supposed to be, and they feel like Disney Main Street. <laughs> Right, right. Epcot. Well, I, yeah, no, I think, I think, um, I mean, I think there's the, the, the mimicking, um, that, that notion is, is a really smart observation. And, and um, what do I want to say? The, the, um, the, the way CGI is employed now, first of all, is ubiquitous, right? And, and it, it, nearly everything on every screen that you view um, is manipulated. It's manipulated imagery. Um, almost all of it, literally, uh, has, has been, you know, um, treated and, and tweaked and, and changed and adjusted. And, um, and so it is completely normalized. The, the, the idea of this this sort of deadness and strange um, digitalization of image is completely normalized and people accept and so forth. And it affects storytelling and it affects emotional response. And I talked about it in the blog post about how mimesis works with regard to it. But when I got to, it was thinking about the Corona virus. And if, if you read social media and you read mainstream newspapers and you, you know, this, this pandemic is like a kitsch pandemic. It is, yeah. it is not the tragic plague I was talking about last about, you know, the plague as, as a absolutely, you know, um, rich allegorical field for human um, tragedy. But this is not, right. you know, first right. of all, because it's, there's no piles of dead bodies and there's not going to be <clears throat> until Bill Gates, you know, yeah, it's just a show. truckloads just of vaccine, a but that's another story. Um, but yeah. it's it's like a the narrative that is being um, layered over this story, the narrative explanation of why everybody's under house arrest. It's it's like a kitsch storytelling. It's 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 like a children's story almost. It barely rises yeah. to the level of of um, cheap science fiction. It's not even that. Um, yeah, it's interesting that it's really also all the strength of it is relying. Like I look at Facebook where my, I have, you know, friends from high school and stuff and like um, everything, the people who are really committed to this story have put, filled, have um, just slipped it into an episode of the Trump show. For them, it's all, about, it's a story of Trump's failure and that's why it's exciting. And all they, they don't care about that. They don't want to read, you know, when Sweden puts up the data from the hospitals, they don't want to look at that. All they want to see is how Trump is reacting to whatever the new piece of information is, whatever the new event is, that the whole thing is just, it's the, it's, they love the virus headline because they think it, it is going to be part of their war on Trump. 
for their right. exposure of Trump. And there's no other interest in it at all. No, it's true. It's true. But it is also, and I don't want to digress too far yeah. in, into this, but um, Michael and I were talking before um, you joined us before we started yeah. recording um, <clears throat> about um, the, the, the similarities between uh, the climate discourse and the coronavirus discourse. And at least in social media. And boy, social media is, you know, a massive influence for these days, isn't it? But the same, two things. One is a constant 24 hour a day stream of junk science parroted by people who are not scientists, who are, who are not doctors, who know nothing about any of what this stuff is that they're saying but they parrot it and they're hugely invested. They're emotionally invested to it to a really crazy degree. And they get absolutely furious if you disagree and you show them Sweden or Belarus or countries and they don't want to see it. And they're hugely invested in this. Yeah, they really are. And they they want people to die. They want yeah, to see those bodies for the, for the moral story or whatever. To, and they love stories of like, oh, this guy did, thought this was overblown and now he's dying. And they right. love yeah. that story. And no, it's, it's, so it's, it's all very gamified. You choose your side. And uh, you don't know, I don't know how many times I've been told, oh, you're going to be sorry when, when the numbers start to rise, when there's piles of death. You're right. I will be sorry. I will view it as an absolute <laughs> tragedy. Yeah. If, Right. Like, see, the second thing, but let me just finish before I yeah. forget. The second yeah. thing, the second thing is, so there's a stream of junk science, but the second thing is, um, you know, and you and I, Molly, both commented mm. on this. I saw on Facebook. The second thing is, the same people and the same kind of character structure, personality type, that was scolding everybody and stigmatizing people about climate change. Oh, the temperature is going to rise 0.5 degrees and you know, you're attacking poor Greta. She's a teenager. She cares. Yeah. You don't care. We're going to, earth is going to be over in 20 years if we don't, you know. And there are too many people much. already. And there's, and of course, too many people. And uh, those same people that were there doing yeah. all of that are now doing the same thing with coronavirus. No, we have a, you don't care about your grandparents. You don't care about, I mean, we have to be locked up. What about the poor nurses in these overworked hospitals? Right, and the grandparents, the people the are dying for 90, like they're acting exist. like yeah. people, yeah. they're like people are dying who are over 90. And it's like, you have your work cut <laughs> out for you if you're gonna put an end to that, you know, like the, the life expectancy well, in the United States is, for men is 76 years now, you know, they're already on borrowed time. But also it's like right. they're being handed yellow pages, right, in the script. Like we, we were writing this story that there are too many people and now, now we're, that didn't work, that tested badly. And now yeah. we have this other story. That's completely well, different moral is, universe. Right, start making, is, calls, start making the phone call to Peter Thiel and Elon Musk. You can, you can work out A, how to live forever and B, how to never have another child because you're all hooked up to a computer. Yes. And it'll be great. Who gives and a shit? pertinent because my point was at the end of that was the, the these these same people are doing the same thing and and it, you know it's all kind of cuckoo and and um junk science and stuff but it's a but it expresses something that is a what michael just sort of offhandedly mentioned there is this deep fear of death and that people die 
And when you tell people, but 400,000 people died from malaria last year, and it was not, there was not a single headline anywhere in any paper that I can remember talking about malaria. Why is that? This, you know, however many people have died, and yes, it's a it's a virus outbreak, and you know, we have, but people die of diseases, people especially die. ones who are 90 years old, and there's a denial that yeah. that death takes place. You know, you say, well, there were 12 people died at the hospital. Yeah, people go to the hospital <laughs> to die. Yeah, everyone dies. I mean, I, Methodist Hospital in Brooklyn. I mean, you know, nobody gets out of there alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, your choice is the hospital there. or it's not uh, what happens. I got told there. someone on, I got told someone on hospice care died, and I was like, well, yeah, that's yeah. Well, like, what it's a, yeah. it's a shame. I get why you're sad, but also like yeah. you know, that's I mean, that's it's kind of terrible. The point. What a shock! This, way, you know? this way to die is also really terrible. It's true, but they're also like then they're they're refusing to listen to the ER and the ICU doctors who are learning how to actually treat this. And they say, you know, it's not like pneumonia, it's actually hypoxia. You know, it's like high altitude. There's something, the surfactant in the lungs is being inhibited by the virus. And there are ways to like, actually, they're killing a lot of people with, with too much um, ventilator apparently. And you know, they didn't do that on purpose. These are people trying to heal people, learning. They're getting no help from the actual, you know, um, bio the virologists and stuff. They're way behind because it's a new thing, right? So they don't know how it works or anything. And so they're learning on the patients. And then people get angry if you're sharing this information. Like, for if you actually get this, you should go in knowing that don't let them intubate you, you know, because that's going to kill you. And, and uh, the virus probably won't if you get other, you know, there are many mechanical uh, methods, or not many, there's a mechanical method of assisting your respiration through the crisis that will cure you, you know, but they don't want to know about a cure. They only want to no. know that if you get this thing, it's a plague, right? And you, and you die because that's, the screenwriting, it, it's so infuriating. It's really, um, it's painful because you see people, you know, literally rooting for this death. Right. But when you were saying about malaria, you know, at first you, the reaction would be like, oh, well, this has to do with worthy and unworthy victims or whatever. It's not even that. It's not even that. It's just where, it's what is being slotted into what point part of the formula for the single shooter experience. It doesn't right. even matter, right. you know, the ethnicity and stuff. I mean, that matters to a point, but they're being told, they're being made to identify with the victim, right? Or they're, and actually it's more about the righteousness. It's more and more that- Yes, the, the, but the that's my point, yes. And you can't let it get away with anything. It's a motherfucker and it has to pay. Yeah. You, you know, that it's not just an, it's a protein. Because there is, has been some kind of like yeah. buildup on buildup of of like um, unused um, you know righteous indignation or something, and the need to the need to create a self on social media, but maybe just overall that cares and is this compassionate person. Um, but but it always takes the form now of um, like yeah, rooting for for you know, fascist authoritarian state policy and rooting for, you know, 
um, the numbers to go up to prove that they're right and scold other people. I mean, that is, that's the direction the society has taken, that it is stigmatizing and shaming, and it is that almost before everything else. Because one thing for certain, all of these people who are claiming to care so much is that they don't really care. No. That's an absolute truth. And uh, they're right. very interested it's, it's in It's histrionics. This. They're interested in this, they're to their only conception of how a universe works and has a, how a country works is the despot at the top determines everything going down. Like the arguments that I have on Facebook is like I'm saying, you don't, the federal government does not run hospitals. They sort of runs the VA, but that's its only thing. It should not run hospitals. They know nothing about running hospitals. The way you have the <laughs> hospitals work is that the, the doctors tell the hospital administrators what they need and the hospital administrators go and buy it. And if you want to help the, the hospitals, you just expand their budgets. You give them gifts of money and then they order more whatever they need. And that's how you expand hospital service. And this, they're like, no, they want Trump in yeah. charge. They want Trump right. to steal all, literally, they're applauding Cuomo going into hospitals and taking the ventilators away and saying he's going to decide where they go. Of course, he puts them on a truck and forgets where he parks it. I mean, that's the whole point of that, <laughs> right? So, but they, well, they really believe that fascism as a model, like they don't believe in democracy at all. They really believe, and we saw this in, in Katrina, remember, with yes. Bush. That, yeah. that unless Donald Trump is telling each emergency room doctor how to treat a patient, that the world will shut down, that he is a king in the fairy tale who right. determines that happens in the society. They really don't think he's a public servant. They don't think there's any limits on his power or should be. And when I say just get out of the way of the emergency room doctors and the ICU doctors, because these people at this point, they're not even making that much money. They're there because they have a calling. Let them work. They're good at this. Right. You know, instead they say, no, you know, it has to be federally coordinated. It has to be federal. And I'm saying, but you're saying Trump is a moron. And it's true. This is their story now is save us, Trump, you fucking moron. Save <laughs> us. Right? That they... There's these two things they're getting, like the society doesn't work because Trump is an idiot. It's like, well, leave, leave Trump out of it. He has no role in the running of hospitals. But there's a strange, Capitalism, there's they're a strange, supposed to, it's a commerce. Yeah. There's a strange disconnect um, when, you, yeah. when you bring up the fact that when you do realize everybody is in quarantine under house arrest, you know, you can social yeah. distancing. And that this is triggering, um, you know, the loss of jobs and a lot of problems for families that have kids home from school. Um, it's creating all manner of problem. It's going to increase homelessness and poverty and hunger. It's going to be a big depression. All of these problems that undoubtedly, somebody said, more people will end up dying of suicide than, than they do from the virus. And that's, that's quite possible, but there's a disconnect from even thinking about that. Um, yeah, it's I like think, four times already, those suicides in the U.S. are four times the virus. Yeah, and there's, but it's part of this fairy tale. Yeah. It's part of yeah. this kitsch fairy tale, right? And this, that and this um, think fragmentary thing. Yeah. Hello? Yeah, no, I'm here. Um, yeah. That was a strange glitch. Sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's part of this, this fairy tale in which everything returns to normal afterwards and, and 
um, we have, you know, the severity of the policies saved us. And, uh, you know, and it, but it, I hear people that I think of as reasonably intelligent people actually write things like, well, um, Boris Johnson is now in hospital and, yeah. you know, in intensive care and he's critical. And that proves that this is not a hoax. Well, who and said I, it was a I, hoax? Yeah. Well, and I said, who the fuck said it was a hoax? No one is pretending there's no illness. It's no, it's a virus. That's not the issue. No, they don't <laughs> understand. Like, and then how do they think public health policy has been made all this time? I mean, obviously you could save a lot of lives with enforced chastity. You'd have no STDs. If you took driver's licenses away from men, you would save a lot <laughs> of lives. You know, they're, they're, they don't, like public health policy is about public health. It's not about this villain, but that's the whole thing. It's the structure of the villain. Just like you remember when Putin kind of actually, uh, Putin was sort of uh, tasked with changing the, the environment when he gassed everybody in that theater. You know, right. because it used to be that like a, a cop would boast of retiring without ever pulling his gun, right? Without ever unholstering his gun. The whole thing is I, the cops were so brave, they would go into a situation of an armed hostage taker and their job would be to get the hostages out alive. And now the whole idea is you could kill the hostages, right? right. Your whole thing is to sure. get, or that the, the, the cop itself, the cop's job is to protect the cop himself. Like he's become an, and a, uh, a, an embodiment of the system of order. Yes. And any threat to him uh, justifies any killing. And that's the exact opposite of what protect and serve, like police, the police in the old culture used to believe. But this right? is, yeah, but this is that part, I, when I was writing in the blog post, and I, I wish I had been more articulate in a way, but it just started to occur to me the way in which these, these style codes, the, the you know, resurrection um, of older codes and symbols and, and story motifs um, from National Socialism or wherever find expression now in strange ways. And I mentioned Trump's gold curtains. You know, this is, this is a really overdetermined image on something. One could write a whole treatise on those gold curtains. But it's things like the exceptionalism of the police. If you kill a cop, you are more severely punished because police are special. And it is a more heinous offense. And then this is like these strange it's hierarchies it's, and, yeah, it's and going paradigms. Back, it's going right back to aristocratic, you know, he's the representative of the king. So it's your, you're um, you're violating the majesty of the king. You know, it's it's amazing because it used to be the cops were so proud of the fact that they were putting their own lives on the line to serve the public. Right. Um, it would be brave that they wouldn't go in blasting when there were hostages. You know, and now it's like they don't. There's no. You're supposed to sacrifice hostages to restore order. So I was yeah, no, I was looking it, for a scene from an old play, Waiting for Lefty. Um, which, of course, was written about the cab strike in San Francisco. It was um, immensely popular at the time that it was produced. Um, but there's these two men talking. One is Dr. Barnes. The other is Dr. Benjamin, who's a medical student. Um, and they're firing Dr. Benjamin. Right. Um, because he's Jewish at the time, and 
it's very frowned upon. He actually makes mention of it. He says, well, with all those wealthy Jews on the board, and he says, well, I don't see much difference between wealthy Jews and wealthy Gentiles. Uh, seems to me that they're both all cut from the same cloth. And then he goes on to say, doctors don't run medicine in this country. The men who know their jobs don't run anything here except for a motor man on a trolley car. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's just as true today. And that's actually what these people are advocating for is, uh, you know, uh, I personally want uh, Donald Trump and Elon Musk to go in. <laughs> I want them to actually show you exactly how you're going to treat this illness. <laughs> Never yeah. mind, you're a fucking doctor and you don't know anything about you clearly don't know how but to do your still, job. You've I never, mean, but, you've never yeah, cured anyone. <laughs> but it's because people are, have really lost the ability to think. I mean, you know, subliterate and innumerate and, and, but just the logic fails people at the most fundamental rudimentary level. I, and I just see this constantly. And part of it is the way these stories, the way media, mainstream media and, and the government construct these stories for consumption um you know they know the conclusion that people will reach if they read and accept this story and uh it it is it is ahistorical it has you know it's full of fallacies and 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 fantasy you know um I don't know, allusions to things that never existed and, and on and on, all this sort of stuff we know. And, and so people, people kind of have lost the ability to question it, the, the curiosity to question it. They, they, uh, they shop for it, they buy it, they try it on, and if it works, they stick with it, you know, there's a brand loyalty that, you know, and, and as Michael said, there's this binary thing too. People can't yeah. think past the binary. And even when certain things like Scotland was gonna, gonna um, pass this ridiculous law, some, I forget what it was, but some anti-democratic um, legal thing connected with Corona and it was defeated. Um, and but that was not in the headline because the people that that organized um, to stop this from passing be, are rendered invisible, right? Um, right. The, the people who are actually activists that fight against the system, even in in sort of pseudo left papers, they are rendered invisible in the narrative. It it didn't happen just because it didn't happen. Right, right. Um, the, the algorithm never, didn't allow never, it. No, no. It it is it is erased. Those people are always erased. Yeah, because and then when you show them, it's only to pathologize them, like that it, that it's paranoia that research is you know connecting the dots in some paranoid way, and it you know literally trying to look gather evidence and evaluate it, evaluate the source, and you know the basic functions that we have that. There's this idea that because that's imperfect, always, that it's all, you know, insanity. And so the only thing you can do, right, is attach your loyalty to, you know, whoever the hero is. And the hero doesn't even have to be good. They just have to be a winner. Right, right, right. Well, you know, yeah. so now it's the winner, you know, um, so that that you just want to go with the winning it's like a bet. You're making. You're like every. Your idea of truth is like you're making these judgments in like the OTB every day. And you it's want so a ticket that pays. It's so steeped in um, 
in people wanting to prove others wrong too and and showing you aha uh -huh, you see you were wrong and, and i remember in poland one of the jokes was your neighbor you know shows up one day with a rolls royce and the you know the dream is not god i wish i could have a rolls royce too the dream is i hope somebody steals this fucking car right. Um, right and that's kind of the society we live in in the west now in the united states too the, it, it, it it is people are just trained to kind of turn on their neighbor and and be resentful of everything that um they get wrong and you know friends at the office get right or you know wherever it is and but it's all it's all kind of bullshit anyway it's all kind of manufactured these manufactured stories and i mean the coronavirus is is one of them yes it's real yes people have i mean but you have to look at it in some context and yeah, historical yeah, and, they, yeah. But, and people don't. Anyway, I I I do want to get back to some of the earlier points that that um, you Molly made at, at at the beginning of the show because I I think they're really interesting and um, about and the enchantment. Pardon? Yeah, because about enchantment. Yeah, about enchantment because I I find this really important and and when I was writing the blog post yesterday and I. I was looking at, at, I had watched this Disney cartoon from 1937, mind you. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, it's, it really is remarkable. And you find these continuums and they're, they're, you know, they're really pretty apparent. There's a certain kind of style code and a certain kind of, um, if it, we're talking about film here for a second, there's a certain kind of visual technique of, um, uh, that that an exaggerated camera movement, uh, you know, that with gratuitous flourishes and and um, things shot to make them look, you know, bigger than life and grand and and all of these things, and yet the content may be, you know, very simple and minor and and. Um, um, you know, insignificant, but but that doesn't matter. It's just a melodrama, so they're treating it with this exaggerated, the importance of the camera technique somehow. Uh, and and the Disney stuff is weird because those early cartoons, the ones thirty-seven, and then he made a whole series in the forties. Um, and say what you will about them, they've always been frowned upon because Disney himself was such a kind of terrible man and a right winger and, and he exploited his, his artists and all of this stuff is true. But, um, but there is a visual intelligence um, to those films that's completely lacking today in animation. I mean, unless you go to like really remote, strange um, you know, art houses and see somebody making something probably, I don't even know, people like, um, you know, Spock Maher and so forth. But, but otherwise, if you look at children's shows today, they're, they're, they're just grotesquely bad. And, yeah. um, uh, and they're disorienting, like in the old Disney things, I mean, they are really beautiful and you could talk about the ideology of the stories, but the, 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 uh, it's made me think of that, um, George uh, W S or S W George Trow's thing within the context of no context how how the frame gets taken off the magazine covers have frames get framing right. 
you know, and in these cartoons, like, yeah, when you want to, it was, you know, foreshortening like Renaissance techniques, like you walk yes. through a cathedral, right? But you would see, so we're looking at a castle. We want to make it charming and great. So the, the, the point of view that you're being shown is, is up at it, like you're a small person, but also then the little foliage will be on the frame to fill in a perspective so that you're always oriented toward this thing, like yes. size and your size and you can change point of view and stuff. And with the CGI and everything that is just arbitrary, right? The point of view is arbitrary and there's never any frame. So things just exist somewhere where you don't know if That's they're big a, or small. I, I do think it's interesting to note though that uh, Walt Disney to some extent ended up kind of buying into his own bullshit a little bit. Um, I think of like Celebration Florida, where like, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a whole town that's just built on this post 40s kitsch. Um, right. Where like, you know, everything is perfectly pristine and it is the American dream. And, you know, it's. Well, Disney was, you know, I mean, you know. He was evil. Yeah, he was right. a really bad guy. And, and you know, when he, when, you know, Disney World or whatever it was called opened in Southern California. I remember going as a, as a young kid and I loved it. Me too, um, yeah. But, but, you know, Future World or whatever it was called, you know, there was. Yeah, Tomorrowland. World. Yeah, Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. <laughs> you know, Tomorrowland was like, was like Alphaville, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a fun and then Main Nightmare. Street, Main Nobody Street. wanted even at the time to live in <laughs> Tomorrowland. Like, please, no. Um, um, he's yeah, he's also yeah, interesting because he's the first of this new brand of fascist. Like, yeah, you know, he is the first one to, like, you know, the old fascists. I was talking with Natasha about this last night. The old fascists craved death to some extent. Um, there was a desire for abolition of the self. Um, Whereas like yeah. Disney, Disney sought to totalize himself. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm going to freeze myself in ice and live forever. And, uh, you know, there's nothing you can yeah. do about it. Well, once <laughs> again, they're the class valences of fascism. That's the thing. You know, everything, everything is really simple when viewed through, you understand that there's a class struggle in every one of these things, right? So even right. in fascism, there's the petty bourgeois versus the bourgeois I mean, there's not really a proletarian fascism, but there is a petty bourgeois fascism. And, and there's uh, definitely that, that like- art came out of that. A lot of their- There's definitely that like lump and street gang fascism typified by fascism. like- Yeah, the black shirts. And... Right, they thought they were like the Usard de la Mort and you know, that they would be like, uh, you know, if you reach 30, you're a scoundrel. Right, and we see it with the, uh, like, you know, uh, in Pennsylvania, we have Keystone State skinheads that I think rebranded as Keystone State United. We still know what they are. Um, but, yeah. like, well, you know, they, the they, thing, like, they the paint themselves as Vikings. Like, you're not a Viking. You're an overweight 40-year-old. Get know, out of my way. The fantasy of the, I know, the master, people who really believe in the master race, when, but when you get a picture of them, it's like Slavo Zizek. You know, you look at a picture of him and he thinks well, he's a master race. You really yeah, no, but I mean, on. that's always, that's always, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like it, it's always guys with. I don't uh, want to reinscribe it. I don't want to reinscribe those values, but it's but, always. But, but, but Disney, but you're right. He was the, he was the first kind of new age fascist, but he was, yeah. that world, that vision. And you touched on something really important, Molly, that, that, that he was imitating 
um, Renaissance art and certain kinds of perspective and the things were overdrawn. You don't get those many slides ever in animation anymore. Right. Um, it's why they look so elegant in a way. They're, they are quite beautiful and, and spellbinding. But, but, but he was borrowing, you know, he was a rube from Marceline, Missouri. I mean, he was an absolute kick. And, and he had very provincial tastes and, and um, it, it comes through in, in a kind of this, this weird um, farm boy admiration for that, that European art stuff. Right. Um, now he became self-delusional at a certain point, but, but those perspectives on the castle or whatever, you know, you're looking at that he used and employed to create these cartoons, that that stuff is has linkage to Norman Rockwell. It has linkage to you know Thomas Kincaid. It has linkage to Donald Trump's Golden Curtains. Um, it has linkage to Las Vegas. Um, it 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 was a really profound uh, influence on American taste. It validated the fact that Americans had no taste, not even bad taste. They had no taste. And that was okay. Disney was saying what you, you know, Main Street in, in Disneyland, Main Street was white, wholesome, Midwestern, um, and, and absolutely conformist, of course, you know, and, and in those early days, I remember going to Disneyland, you had to have your hair cut. He wouldn't let anybody into the park who had sideburns. I mean, yeah. there's, really... no, there's no sex in that world. There's no right. brothel. Absolutely. People, no, people, no. people spawn from each other's hips like Zeus. Right. Or that, well, yeah. that's something yeah. else I was going to say about enchantment. I mean, this is a little thing. The other thing about disenchantment and reenchantment is like the enchanted, the enchanted human, the image of the enchanted human is Isis and Osiris or Mary and Jesus. So it's going to be that we're a species that reproduces a certain way, that most of us are women, that all of us begin as female, etc. And then you go to the Vitruvian man, you know, Leonardo's image, which is, you know, a, a man, a, an adult male in a sealed off little bubble that's really a corpse you know it's not right. a, our species right. at all and yet that becomes the dominant image in the in the calculating the proprietor that's the image of the proprietor the boy proprietor. that's really interesting because you know I, we talked last time and I, I wrote about this somewhere and i talked about it somewhere maybe i don't know on instagram or something um the man in the glass booth thing because it came up with oh a yeah, song, yeah 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 right? I hadn't thought of the Da Vinci because that's really true too, isn't it? There's something there. I don't know quite what it is, um, but there is some fascination with that hermetic um, separation, you know, and it, it ties in with the, the aesthetics, the style codes of how all of us talk about instrumental thinking and logical positivism and all that, 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 the disenchantment was was hermetically cutting us off from from the dirty, the moist, the dark. Um, and the our, our so yeah, and this just goes to the the what's good in Deleuze. You know, like he talks about the body without organs, which is just a sort of inverted quote from Marx, where Marx said that the that 
that nature is our inorganic body, meaning that, you know, we, that we part, an adequate stream of water is as much a part of a human being as, you know, your heart. You can, you could, you can't, you could live without your legs, (laughs) but you can't live without an adequate stream of water and air that we are, we're, we're an organic process that, you know, metabolizes what's out uh, outside us and makes and, and makes what's outside us that there's really no there's no uh, long, there's no cutoff you know and that when we start to imagine ourselves as this, this kind of divine machine as a sort of god on earth that just dominates the outside instead of you know that we metabolize it that we're actually made of it then you start yeah. to have that really does then you that that's the well Tevila thinks that's this sort of beginning of creating capital in your brain. It's very interesting. And and I think that you I think the trend toward the enthusiasm for artificial intelligence is also this body negative um fear of geez, it goes back to you know male fantasies again, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, there is there is running through, but this is what interests me, you know, is that in all of this um in all of this fascist uh, symbology and mythos, certain things keep recurring. And in the struggle against that, um, you know, there are certain things that are singled out for punishment or erasure or, or um, you know, invisibility being censored somehow. Um, and, and it is always, it is always the, and see this ties in with the whole thing of algorithms and this, this obsession with predictability um, because there's something about sex and procreation and shit that is just not predictable. Not predictable. Um, and, and, and it's also that proves the democratic equality. I mean, it proves the wrongness of racism and class and stuff. Cause right. if, yeah, I mean, that's a love story is the ultimate democratic story because it doesn't matter. The barriers that are put up by society don't matter. People right. fall in love, right. cross them. Right. Well, I mean, there is an extraordinary, one of the things that have come up with, with screen and CGI too. See, I think these things are all linked and I'm just free associating here, so forgive me. But um, I see CGI as sex negative. You know, I think I could defend that argument actually given enough time um, because there, the only irregularities, I mentioned the stone, the repaved um, square in Krakow, Poland, where they used computer-generated um, architectural drawings and all the stones were suddenly uniform and grotesque, right? And and an affront to people. Um, and the old medieval stones were uneven to walk on, but they were beautiful and, and sensuous and tactile and all of these things. And CGI has this, um, the only... It is, it is perfect. It's always perfect, and and whatever is imperfect is intentionally imperfect. It's a sign of, you know, see, you know, we're we're displaying this character with a certain imperfection or something. It is CGI is a corrective. It's a manipulation. It's an advertisement policy. It's a way to correct something that that naturally that is seen as wrong because it's not predictable. It's unruly. It's it's um, uh, can't be trained to to 
the process can't be manipulated or trained in a way that ends up with the results that everybody at the, you know, the CEO and the, the board agreed on would be the results. They can never really determine that. CGI is part of this apparatus of correction that, that takes care of that for you. I like mean, I, the eugenics logic, it's like a, a Nazi eugenics logic made is. practical, like they could dream of that, you know, Albert Speer and Hitler I mean, could dream of their future. And it's, you know, that Alfred Rosenberg would have loved CGI. He would have, maybe he wouldn't even have had to kill so many people. They'd just sit there on the computer and make their little Nazi world. And, and of course, there's like this trend where, so at one point, like correcting something that was wrong in nature in your art was an intentional move, right? Um, mm -hmm. Marat is painted without his like, you know, he had a horrible case of eczema that was untreated right. and he would bathe in milk for it. Um, but he's painted without that because the intention is to show that even in his death, he is greater than he ever was alive. He is more perfect by dying. He, he becomes a martyr for the cause. Um, but it's, it's not the same kind of fascistic understanding of perfection. It's not well, you know, uh, he had to be perfect. It was in life, he was a flawed man, but in death, we can look past those flaws and he can become what he always was intended to be. Right, and um, there's still an understanding of the distinction between the, the concrete referent and the image. And then in right. the CGI, there's no concrete referent at all. It's all, there's only image. And then that this is, you know, it's the financial world, you know, the financial world is yes. a net over yeah. the reality that, that, uh, you know, is, is um, eliminating. And, and Mike did a lot of reading about uh, the arguments between Lenin and Bogdanov, which also relate to this, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, like, Bogdanov was wrong in, many ways um as was lenin like both of them were imperfect and that's okay like there's no reason that we have to couch those facts lenin made errors bogdanov made errors ultimately their argument was probably the greatest one really because it split lunasharsky and lenin who are both brilliant in their own right and both brilliant orators and very, very Lenin, capable. Lenin was aware that he was mis misrepresenting the actual topic because for a political reason, which is interesting, but their argument is about mock and, um, and about positivism. I mean, it's about um, uh, the, the, um, the representations that become politically actionable, right? Of reality. Right. So, and it, you know, sorry. Go you ahead. know, you see, it with, you see it with Gorky too and uh, the God Builders and all of that where um, Lenin intentionally paints it as um, this idea that they want to um, make an actual divine being. Um, whereas if you read Mother, that's clearly not what Maxim Gorky ever intended. Uh, the man, the main character at one point is talking to a man and he says, well, if, if you take away God, what will I still have left? And uh, the character, the main character ends up saying, well, you can be your own God and you'll never be alone because you're surrounded by thousands of gods. You're surrounded by the working class and the working class is the only mover of history. <laughs> right. um, it, it actually takes power away from this kind of uh, divine right to own things, this divine right to, you know, I, I can do this because God allows me to. Well, 
Well, that reminds me of something. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but but, and this was in um, in the blog piece I just wrote. I hate to always sort of footnote myself here like this, but um, and I forget where I was first bumped into this idea, but it touches on because what interests me is the counter revolution that happened after the '60s, right? And maybe in the next podcast we can we can get to that the ways in which you know the '60s shaped. The, the, the practices of the state in, in, in correcting that problem. But, um, but the, the environmental movement today continues to express itself in these terms. I'm not sure why what said Michael made me think of this, but I, but I did. Um, in terms of something that is, there is always a declaration about well, we must protect nature and keep it pure and pristine and wild and all of these things. And that is always the voice of the, 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 the man who owns the manor house and the ground. Yeah. It, is, <laughs> right. it is a classic capability brown. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's so it's true. Or works. It's the, it never it, works. Yeah. Yeah, I never, don't want to see, yeah. I want to see decorative sheep I don't want to see dirty peasants. Yeah, or, no, exactly, know. exactly. Um, is, no, it's so true that 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 view and that this that manor house. That's why the you know we use fascism to talk about Disney to talk about these people because of our because the U.S. happened to be have one foot in the in the um, allies you know in the in the fight against fascism. Only for that reason do we other because really this is. This, the ideology of this, what Marx called the slave owner conspiracy, the, the, the ruling class as he saw it being fought by the Parisians, the communards was, he called them the slave owner conspiracy. And these are the, that's really capital, right? Is those American slave owners dreaming of their new Memphis on the Mississippi, right? Mm -hmm. They were, they really had that view of the, um, and yeah, it comes out of the, 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 the 18th century manor house in England, you can picture it, or Jane Austen looks out the window and doesn't see anyone working. Absolutely. Ever. Right. But, but in, but in um, the racialized version of this that made it, that made, that reconciled it to liberalism uh, it, with the racial trick saying, oh yes, we're all equal. It's just, those aren't people. And that, that's <laughs> right. really what, fa where then fascism is just a European adaptation of that. So in a way we, we're, it's a misnomer when we talk about fascism, these, our ruling class, the American ruling class is really American. There's something Dixie about them. There's yes. Something and that's totally a, yeah. And I think that's an important, an important topic. The, because there is, and, and I remember my old friend and teacher, Terry Oreck, used to say that. He was fascinated with the American expression of the ruling class, the American ruling class, and their aesthetic, as it were, um, because it is distinct. And, and, and we're seeing, um, you know, the, the, the 21st century version of a lot of this now is, is taking very curious form i think and and uh it, it it is not that it culminates in trump i mean trump's like a distraction i mean he's interesting as a as the symbol of certain things but 
but it's more the way this environmental movement, Corey Morningstar, I will give a shout out to Corey Morningstar because her work has been so invaluable in, in, in really singling out these, the, the voices of the ruling class as they erupt and emerge in stark relief in this environmental movement. And they do as well, of course, in, in the coronavirus narrative. I mean, this is Bill Gates, um, self-proclaimed emperor of the world, right? Yeah, and it's, uh, the Trump and it's, is it's very curious it's, that, Yeah, he's anyway, a rhetorical device like, like Archie Bunker, basically. The, right. I'm just looking at the time, and I think we have to tune here because okay. we're, we're um, sort of winding up what, what um, I mean, we don't have to, but I think it's, we take these in chunks, but we should, we should do part three, obviously. But I would like, I would, what you just started to talk about, I think is really important. And, and, and you have always had good things to say about it. And Michael too, you know, on the American, um, the American 21st century and, and the way, you know, and the aesthetics in Hollywood. I mean, we should talk about more about current films um, and and how they express certain things. I mean, I made this point with Disney, you know, who was making this elaborate, what you described, Molly, you know, the imitation, renaissance, whatever. And then you see the sound of music with all these widescreen 50s, Panavision and Super Panavision, Cinemascope and um, and then they were using 70 millimeter and stuff. And now it's Christopher Nolan and directors like that that are using this unnecessary, you know, huge film stock and widescreen because it's a further, that's a ideological component of what they're saying. I mean, this is, these are the through lines that at least I find interesting. I don't know. Um, but um, let's, let's sort of, and here, but any further thoughts, last comments from everybody? Um, yeah, just one quick thing. Um, so I was thinking about um, the concept of um, the pristine nature idea. And, uh, you know, it's famously the start of Robin Hood is he kills the king's oh, deer. Great. Yeah. The king, right. owns the, the king owns the deer because he has just the right to own it. And the deer is just there to be seen. It's beautiful. So it, it has to stay. Um, it's not to be eaten. It's not to be used by the peasantry. It's just there for the king's observation, um, which I think is really kind of where this all comes from. But that returns in the film version, The Queen, the film they made about the queen. Right. She has her spiritual moment. Oh, the right. The same fucking deer, I'm quite sure. Oh, wow. That's right. With Helen Mirren. Yeah. I, that's the only scene I've seen yeah. from that movie. That's so funny. I was wondering, because I was like, where is it from? <laughs> you know, and it's interesting because the, the, these stupid video games, which kind of inspire this bad CGI and stuff like that was developed for that, they put you in the place of the, of the emperor all the time with the, with, at the same time that they fuse it to your, absolutely sub, your, sub, your in absolute subjection to the algorithm. The algorithm right. controls the whole world around you. You're the only thing alive in this universe. So you're its master, but you're also its slave. It's like, um, you know, the shitty fantasies of Foucault. You know, it's really, it really is that. Um, 
And um, the other thing I would just say we should pick up next time is, you know, you started talking about Deleuze with Guy Zimmerman, but I think Deleuze is one of the, is the leader among these of this re-enchantment, this attempt to re-enchant. And then he goes off in a, in a bad direction because he's so caught up with the idea of the flows of capital or the actual um, kind of um, the discovery or the self-discovery of the, of the productive flows, like right, the actual right. flows of the universe. Like he confuses these things. And then, so then he winds up having all this neoliberal stuff. But the, the idea of the, that our capacities, you know, cause our, what's being lost now in the logic of the ordinary people, clerk class only, the clerks of all economic levels, no longer believe in, um, you know, uh, rights, right? Natural law or anything that are that are rights derived from our needs and our capacities to satisfy them. Like for them, that's done. There's only some something above us, some logic, the algorithm's logic, the race's logic, the civilization's logic, capital's logic that will judge whether we have a right to exist. Yeah, that's good. And I'm my final thought is going to be just this idea of anticipation you know, aesthetic, artistic anticipation of, you know, that, that we dream the future. Because I was thinking all this social distancing um, is, is creating the imagery that goes along with that in people's minds is Jacques Tati and playtime. It's, it's Billy Wilder, the, the apartment. I mean, it's those kind of, it's madmen. It's those offices, cubicles where people mm. were separated and working in isolation, social distancing was already in existence, you know, I mean, oh, so, yeah, like, remember Working Girl, like, actually, you know, the, the last shot of Working Girl would be the horrible first shot, the nightmare first shot of a 1960s movie, like, she's in a cubicle in this massive skyscraper, and she has a middle management job, and that yeah. would be, like, the in the first shot in 1960s, she'd have to escape there and go across the country, and, oh. you know, and instead, that's her reward at the end of that movie. Right. And even at one point you have office yeah, space where every day since the day I started working is the worst day of my life. That's a funny movie. Well, this is great. I like this as an end point. Uh, Jack Littman will work on this tonight. A shout out to Jack Littman, who has been so Jack, great in helping you, with everything. Thank you for all your help, Jack. And um, I want to thank um, everybody who is, has been promoting um, aesthetic resistance on Instagram and listening to our podcast. There's a lot of people doing that and that's cool. And um, we'll probably try to get another one out here Easter week in the quarantine. Um, the kitsch plague of uh, 2020. Uh, Let's but, end the quarantine before then. Let's just yeah, go out and fucking yeah. end this nonsense. I know. I know. Somebody was saying, you know, my kids want to see their grandparents. They want to do all these things. And, um, I just, you know, to my grandchildren in LA, if you want to come visit me in Norway, you can, if it were up to me. <laughs> you're the flights welcome. are going. The flights are going, I see. They're still it's booking crazy. flights now. It's just fucking crazy. Anyway, okay, guys. Thank All you right. so much. Thank uh, you. I'll be in touch, and uh, this will be up on, thank you for having us, John. on SoundCloud um, this evening. Okay. Ciao. Great. Ciao. Bye. I'll see you.